Hello, I'm Rev Brad, and you're listening to the Soccer Chaplains United podcast from the Touchline. Today is a very unique and special day. It is Ash Wednesday. It's that time when the church and Christians around the world mark the beginning of the season of Lent and the 40 days, excluding Sundays, that lead up to Easter. But today, February 14, 2024, is also known as Valentine's Day. For many around the world, Valentine's Day has become a day to express one's love for someone with flowers, cards, candy, and other kinds of gifts and messages. Someone asked me if today I'd be placing ashes on the forehead of people in the shape of a heart to honor both days. Well, it's at least an interesting idea, but I don't think I will. Ashes get pretty messy when you're moving them all around someone's forehead. But I have been thinking about the significance and symbolism of Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day as it relates to God's love for us. And that's what I'd love to talk about for a few minutes. So hold on. We'll kick on right after this. He's found the space and he's found the back of the net. Just a little off foot thinking he's going to go far post. Not strong enough with his right hand. Whips that one in. Far post. Almost made him in. And they have. He has the hat trick. The second in his career. The third of the night. The hat trick hero. Talked about you're not going to be able to sustain that kind of pressure. To the corner. Goes towards the near post. And you're at the angle. And what a goal. What a goal. So let me begin by talking about Ash Wednesday, as it may or may not be familiar for you. I grew up in a tradition that didn't observe Ash Wednesday. Easter, yes. Good Friday, yes. But that's pretty much all I can recall from my childhood. It wasn't until later in my adult life that I recall encountering Ash Wednesday. In fact, I was in seminary and I remember sitting in a coffee shop and I saw this lady walk in with a dark smudge on her forehead. I remember thinking to myself, wow, she really messed up with the makeup this morning. I wonder if I should tell her. Thankfully, I didn't say anything, and a few moments later, a man walked through the same doorway with a similar smudge. With my laptop open, I quickly searched the internet. What religion has a dark mark on the forehead? I I laugh now because the search came up with, quote, Many Christian traditions observe Ash Wednesday and are marked with ashes on their forehead, end quote. Now, believe you me, I was a little bit surprised to find this out and to find it out in this way. But in the years that have followed, I found Ash Wednesday and the subsequent season of Lent to be a really rich time for getting closer to God through some of the intentional practices that accompany this time in the church calendar year. So a little bit about Ash Wednesday. As I said, it marks 40 days, excluding Sundays before Easter. Now, historically, this has been an important time of preparation through education and training for those waiting to be baptized as new believers, as new Christians on Easter Sunday. But eventually, uh, the church kind of felt like it would be good for the whole church to benefit from setting this time aside and for people to recall their own baptism and to draw closer to God through three key practices or Christian disciplines. Uh, Those three disciplines are known as fasting, giving, and prayer. So let me talk about these real quick. First, fasting is a time when we create space for God by denying ourselves things that we probably often take for granted or things that are readily accessible accessible to us. Uh, For example, fasting was was practiced initially as a denial of food or or certain foods. 
Um, and with Jesus himself serving as an example for this, Jesus underwent 40 days in the wilderness where he didn't take any food. And we read about this in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. It's also in the Gospel of Mark and Luke as well. And, and as we see Jesus as an example in the fasting that he did, um, he really was preparing his heart, his mind, his soul, his, even his body for ministry and what lied ahead. When we fast, we voluntarily abstain from something. And it can be more than food, or it can be a little bit different than food. And in fasting, it reminds us of our dependence upon God. You see, it's God who gives us life. He gives us breath and strength. He provides daily bread. He nourishes us with relationships for companionship and so on and so forth. The key to fasting is that we create a void or an absence of something so that it can be filled with God's presence. Let me give you an example. Let's say during this next season of Lent, I decide, you know what, I'm going to fast a lunchtime meal. And instead of just not eating and getting on with the day, instead of just creating this absence or this void, uh, it's a work or, or, or it's important to try and fill that time with something that creates space for God. So maybe that's extra Bible reading, a time for prayer, listening to music that draws my heart, mind, soul closer to him. Well, a second practice during Lent is the practice of giving. There's many ways that we might give. We might give of our time, our treasures, which includes money and resources, our talents, which includes our skills and expertise. And our giving isn't something we do so we can boast about it or parade it in front of others. It really needs to follow the biblical outlines and designs that God has for us. You know, God desires that we're, quote unquote, cheerful givers, not giving out of compulsion or with reluctance. You can read about that in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. God also desires that we give the first or best of the things that we have, not, not our leftovers, our first fruits, as it's put in the Bible. You can read that in Proverbs 3, verses 9 through 10. See, God desires to see generosity happen in us so that he can continue to express his own love and generosity back to us. When we give to God, when we give to his kingdom, to his work, and maybe that's through the church, maybe that's through giving to missions or a certain project, what we do in that is we give away, especially with money, something that can have a very tight hold on our hearts. The act of giving can help release us from the trap and power of money and free our hearts in this culture of consumption that so many of us live and breathe every day. So an exercise of generosity during Lent might be to find an individual or an organization that's serving God, serving his kingdom, and give an extra gift or find a way to serve that's in alignment with what God might be calling you and me to do. That third practice that I mentioned is the practice of prayer. Now, maybe you and I already pray a lot, but during the season of Lent, a specific emphasis during this time can and should be on repentance. And with repentance, there are sins that can come to the front of our mind. Sins that we might say are of commission, ones that we do, and sins of omission, ones where we fail to do or fail to do something. Let me give you some examples. A sin of commission is maybe where I hurt someone. I commit the foul. Maybe I'm intentional with some hurt words, or maybe I just outright disobey God. Those are sins of commission. A sin of omission is where I fail to do something. You know, maybe someone's on the team and 
I refuse to make a pass to them or I'm in a meeting and I ignore giving someone credit for a, an original idea that they had. Or, or maybe it's someone's hurt and wounded and I, I just kind of walk on by on the road. I ignore them. I, I don't do something that I ought to do. Well, during the season, it can be helpful to maybe um, understand those things, those things that we've failed to do or the things that we've, we've done intentionally and hurt others. And, and during this season, too, it can be really helpful to maybe choose or discover a daily prayer that we might learn and somehow repeat or recite from time to time. And, and again, with the focus being on repentance and, and praying to God, asking for forgiveness and, and asking for change and transformation in our hearts. Well, I've gone on a little bit about these three practices, but these really color and characterize the season of Lent and Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday becomes the representative day where we can begin these practices with intentionality. And in certain years, I've sometimes designated in advance, I've said, this is the thing I'm going to give up. Um, and, and it's interesting, friends. Let, let me just tell you, when you give something up for such a period of time as this, it really does release the stranglehold that sometimes those things can have on you. I remember one one year I gave up video games and I just said, you know, maybe I'll play a video game on, on a Sunday with a friend, but I'm not going to play video games as much as I used to. And I was amazed at how much time and space and energy that I had and and how the hold of certain things, the, the addictive nature of gaming, it, it just wasn't there for me anymore. So maybe in one year, you might choose to fast something different. It might be a food thing, something that you feel like strongly attracted to. It might be a time thing. It could, it could be something else. Um, now, let me talk a little bit more about Ash Wednesday itself. Usually there's a service where someone can go and it's at a church or, or maybe in the workplace where you're at, there's a, there's a chaplain or someone doing this. I do this for the club team that I serve. I go to the stadium. I'm, I'm amongst the people that are working there. And I offer a short service, a time of imposition of ashes. And usually that service is a time of some prayers, some Bible readings. And again, that placing of the ashes. That's really what imposition means. Um, it's kind of a fancy word or an older word just to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to put ashes on myself or on you. And, and they're usually placed on the forehead and sometimes on the top of the hand if someone's not comfortable with, with them being on the forehead or, or has a different a reason for some of those things. Another thing is a lot of people wonder, where do the ashes come from? I mean, if you think about it, uh, if you don't know, it can be a little frightening. Like, hey, we're, we're not pulling these out of the, the, you know, the cremation plots over there, are we? No, 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 no. The, the ashes are the burnt palm fronds from a previous Palm Sunday. And I think in some ways this is kind of cool. This is like the church recycling things or reusing things and using them to the fullness and extent that they can be. In a way, it, it's really about, it's not about recycling. It's really about emphasizing and illustrating this important truth for all of us to, to know and understand and to be reminded of from time to time. And I, and I think to, to be reminded of this year after year after year helps keep eternity in perspective. And usually it's expressed in the words, from dust you came and to dust you'll return, or some variation of that. Now, those words usually spoken as the ashes are, are applied to the forehead or the hand, they echo the very words of God to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. 
They've just sinned. Uh, and, and God's kind of gone through and, and found them out, and the curse has, has happened. Sin has, has entered into perfection. And so God, God declares in Genesis 3.19, he says, you know, you're, you're going to work hard the whole of your life for food, and you'll toil and, and bring the food out of the ground. And then you'll return to that ground because it's from the ground that you came and from the ground that you'll return. Now, a few other things I want to mention about Ash Wednesday. And really what, what I want to do is take away from the mystery and some of the misnomers that I've encountered. You know, some, sometimes I encounter Christians and, and people that aren't familiar with Ash Wednesday and they think it's weird or they, they think, you know, what is it? It's like a spooky religious thing. Like, I've never heard of this. I don't practice this. This isn't for me. Well, first... There's nothing magical about the ashes. And, and really, despite what some Christian people might feel or believe, or even their own experience, they forget that there's actually biblical precedent. You see, in the Old Testament, God's people use sackcloth and ashes as a sign of mourning and repentance. It's really a whole nother podcast, too much to go into here, but let me encourage you. It's not proscribed. You know, in other words, you must do this. But it's also not prohibited. In other words, you can't do this. And, and it's not related to some other religion or religious practice that Christians ought to be afraid of. There are many people in the Bible who wore ashes on their foreheads. Think of Job, Tamar, David, a man after God's own heart, Ezekiel the prophet, just to name a few. Here's the second thing I want to I talk about. So it's okay to wipe the ashes away after you, you receive them. You know, I... I I give ashes during the day at the stadium. There's people working. They have business meetings. You know, maybe for them, there's not a comfortability, but the ashes are representative. Like, hey, I'm in a state of mourning. I'm in a state of understanding my sin and, and just going before God and seeking repentance. Nowadays, I like to wear ashes throughout the day. But when I go to church at night with my family, and sometimes I'm invited to be part of the service and apply ashes to others as a minister— I'll wipe away those ashes that I received earlier in the day so that I can kind of fully participate in with, with you know, the church, the church community as they're, as they're doing this as well. Finally, the last thing that, if I could say this just about Ash Wednesday, please don't judge others. Whether you observe Ash Wednesday or not, these things don't make you more or less of a Christian. These things don't make you more or less of a Jesus follower or a, a better Jesus follower or a worse Jesus follower. But I do think that in this intentional time and space, we should honor and encourage others as they practice and set aside time and, and rhythms and rituals to kind of draw closer to God, to face the reality of their own sin and understand their own need for a Savior. Now, with all that said, I want to shift the focus to Valentine's Day. So Valentine's Day has become very commercialized. Let's be honest. It's a hallmark holiday. There's a lot of money and energy that goes into this particular day, and some of its meaning and purpose, I think, get lost because of all this. But let me share a little bit about Valentine's Day, how it came to be, and, and then hopefully we'll circle around and tie this all up neatly in a bow. So Valentine's Day started as a Christian feast day, and it was commemorating a couple of saints of the church, namely Valentine of Rome, who was martyred in 269, and Valentine of Tyranny, who was martyred in 273. So the observance day for the Western Church was February 14th for these, for these Christian saints who had, who had lived a life of faith and testimony. 
Valentine of Rome was said to have been imprisoned in Rome after supporting persecuted Christians. And Emperor Claudius II is said to have had an audience with him, and he was so impressed that he tried to get Valentine to convert to Roman paganism just in order to save his life. Well, of course, Valentine refused. And, and in turn, he tried to get Claudius II to convert to Christianity. It's said that before Valentine was executed, he healed the blind daughter of his jailer. And it, it so moved that jailer that he and his whole household believed in Jesus because of it. Now, as things go, you know, story and legend kind of get added into the story. And, and there come up these embellishments. And, and one of those embellishments is that Valentine wrote a short message to the blind girl the night now who could see the night before his execution. And he signed the note, your Valentine. Now I know I've I've been pronouncing Valentine and Valentine, but, but um, he signed the note and, and it was significant because now the girl could see and he signed it or addressed it even from himself. So that's, that's part of the embellishment or the story, or maybe the legend, you know, is that here's this note uh, from your Valentine or, or, or from, from this person that cares about you, that loves you very much. Another another legend that kind of has grown up is that St. Valentine used to cut hearts out of parchment paper, and he would give it to soldiers. He would kind of fold them up and, and make the cuts, and he would give it to soldiers he was ministering to or to persecuted Christians that he was supporting and aiding and helping. And all this to just give them a visual, tangible reminder of God's love for them, because these were people that, that felt on the outs. Now, there's a lot more we could say about St. Valentine. You could, you could go to like Wikipedia and you could research all the different things that, that are out there or, or just learn a little bit more about this day and, and some of the observances and some of the people and places connected to it. But I think you get the picture. You know, sometimes with a, ancient Christian people and stories, it's kind of difficult to separate fact and fiction. But here's the thing. Undoubtedly, there were Christian men and they were named Valentine or Valentine. And they served and loved others. And no matter what stories or legends or tall tales or commercializations have been created, if they were true to the faith, if they lived out their love of Jesus, then it's highly likely that in such a culture and time of ancient Roman times, they stood out as examples of Christian love and charity. Remember Jesus, the night before his betrayal and death, took to washing the disciples' feet, and he told them in John 13, verses 34 and 35, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus has just done the, the dirty and low task of washing everyone in the room's feet. It was a task reserved for the servant. And in this expression, he didn't hold himself up as master or teacher or rabbi, even though he was those things, he didn't take his position or his place and hold it up over anyone. He said, no, I am here to serve. And so here, I've given you this example. As I've loved you, you need to love each other. And Jesus wasn't just talking about sort of ceremonial foot washing for people. He was talking about the ways in which we, we get down and we get dirty and we get our hands messed up and we'd serve and love others, even despite whatever they've walked through in life. So I think that the love expressed by Valentine and countless other Christians, whether they were martyred for their faith or not, these things stand as an example and a reminder to us. It's a reminder of Jesus's love 
It's an example of the Father's love that really was expressed through his sending of his son Jesus into the world on our behalf to reconcile and fix what was broken. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. My friends, today is a special day. This merging, this, this uh, parallel of St. Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday. While it may be a day where we both fill our hearts with loving reminders of people in our lives and express our love and care for them, we ought to reflect too on the fact that God's love for us was so great that he came down into our mess, into our messy lives. He, he lived and walked among us. He healed us. He, he touched us. He transformed us. He suffered and died for our sins. He rose again to bring us the opportunity for new life, for eternal life and reconciliation back to him. This is why the psalmist says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 30, verse 5. You see, there's a need for us not to ignore our own sin, our own frailty, our own need for a Savior. Oh, how rich it is when we take the time. It makes us realize and appreciate all the more the love of God that he has for us, this love expressed in Jesus, who gave up his life and died a horrible and cruel death on the cross. So my friends, you know, maybe Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day are actually the perfect pairing after all. Well, that does it for me. I pray that today you would have a special and blessed Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day. May you realize the love of God expressed to you through the love of Jesus Christ. And as you do that, and as you sit perhaps in a moment of reflection and repentance, may your hearts be full. This has been Rev. Brad coming to you from the Touchline.